Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed, as always, by... Matt Trumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going great. Host and producer, that's a new bit. Uh, that just proves to me that you don't listen to when I have Joe Sayward on, because I say that every time Joe Sayward's on. So now no more having a go at me for not listening to Tech Time. I now know you don't listen to Sayward. Okay, busted. Busted. <laughs> Let's press buttons and bring on our special guest that you can hear laughing in the background. Hello. <laughs> Joining us today is a rising star in F1 journalism and broadcasting. And some have said, some have described him as the James Hunt of the F1 media paddock. It's Chris Medland. How's it going, Chris? Very well, thanks, mate. That's you that's described me as that, isn't it? Yeah, it was Joe that described you as that. Uh, so we now know that you live a party rock star F1 media lifestyle. But mm. also, I've heard that you are a decent racer because I, I mentioned to a friend that we were trying to strong arm you to come to Buckmore with us. And he said his friend is your friend who says you're too quick and that we should not invite you. I've got a friend who knows a friend and your friend and his friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the, the friend I think you're talking about that knows me is uh, Lawrence Edmondson, ESPN, who is quicker than me. Uh, usually. Anyway, I've got a weight advantage on him now. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm getting there. I've, I've been doing a bit more. Uh, I, I won a sprint race at uh, Sandown the other day that was in my own gear and I got that the beautiful line of bucking the trend of having his own gear and some <laughs> idea, which is the biggest compliment I've ever had driving anything. So uh, I might retire on that, to be fair. Yeah, if you've got your own kit, you you basically have to win. So did you win the, the whole event? I did, yeah. Oh, and it okay, was in the wet fine. on slicks. Yeah. So uh, my ego 
So here's here's an interesting thing I just found out because unfortunately my idea of inviting uh, people to come karting with us in America to see if there was any interest has backfired horribly because it turns out there is quite a lot of interest. But in the US tracks, Matt, as soon as it rains, they just call the event off. They do not go karting in the wet. Yeah, no, I don't really understand why not uh, because we certainly race bikes in the wet. But I, I think it's mostly down to they make their money from arrive and drive and they just don't want to spend all the time fixing the carts when people drive them into the barriers. Yeah. My procedure for racing in the wet is A, realize it's wet, B, get out of the cart, C, go home. So yeah, I am not a wet weather guy. Uh, but Chris Medlin, testing. Joe doesn't care about testing or launches at all. Uh, no, do, you, do you Do you also not? I love it. Um, launches, meh, they're a bit of much of a muchness, although I'm going to have a fun week of traveling next week. Um, going from you can all in, indulge me in my travel itinerary but monday yeah, <laughs> uh central london for a mercedes uh sort of sponsorship event uh tuesday morning fly to italy to do the ferrari launch on tuesday night and then i think that'll finish at like 10 p.m and then i've got to be up at 4 a.m to drive to the airport to fly at 7 a.m to paris for the renault launch get the Eurostar back it all sounds very glamorous doesn't it, it does. um back on wednesday night then get uh, to Woking Thursday morning for McLaren's launch and then Friday morning fly to Salzburg for the Alpha Tori launch and then stay there for the weekend because Racing Point are launching just outside Salzburg on the Monday and then fly Tuesday to Barcelona and, and, and do some do, do, do you find Do you find that enjoyable? I mean, obviously it is a job, but do you actually get anything out of it from a journalistic point of view? From a Well, you're a fan as well, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think you're in the wrong line of work if you're doing this and you're not a fan of the sport as well. Um, yeah, you do. You, you get a lot of enjoyment out of it because you get to um, – it's the first time you really get to sort of touch base again with a lot of the teams and to ask the drivers what they've been up to and find out how development's been going. But also it's just – I don't know, you, you connect, reconnect again with a bunch of other journalists, a bunch of other PR people, just everyone that you haven't really seen for a couple of months. So it's like back to school. And then as soon as testing kicks off, it's really exciting because – you can't quite tell. Every time you think you've got a picture, but you can't quite tell. So um, I love the way it builds up that suspense. Um, Every single year, Chris, I tell myself as a fan, I'm just going to nip down to Barcelona and just have a few days chilling out, watching the cars go by, listening to sound and and staying in a hotel away from my terrible kids. Do you you see many fans there? Do you think people get stuff out of it? Uh, Yeah, I always do worry in terms of it being boring for fans. You see quite a few there. And obviously, you can only pick one spot for a spell. And if there's a red flag, nothing's going on on track. But even even when cars are running well, they're not racing each other. So it's quite mundane viewing. But it's obviously the first time, and it's a chance to get close to the cars. And if you pick a good corner, then you might well find yourself seeing you know an incident or something going off or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's, what's also good is generally they can move around a little bit. Uh, Barcelona, the circuit, do not always open all the grandstands, so you're kind of limited in in certain like viewpoints. But you do get to explore the circuit a little bit, move around, and it's just chilled out. You're not rushing and you're not paying a fortune for a beer or whatever it normally is during the race weekend. Uh, it's a lot more chilled. So no, I, I think it's quite cool. Yeah, there's, there's less people to sneak up on you. So, Matt, we could turn up there with our, our booze in a, in a brown paper bag. I think that that's the way forward. Uh, can you recommend a place to, to go and perch yourself for testing? Uh, turn 10. So the, the left-hander at the end of the back straight as such, um, where 
you've got a good breaking zone and then you can see they go up sort of uphill for 11, 12 and back on themselves. So that's quite a nice little spot. Um, turn one, just one, you see all the cars coming out the pit lane. So if a car's been you know damaged or not running for a while, you see it when it appears and you can work out who's on track very quickly. But also that as a braking zone is awesome. They hit the brakes so late and the cars are so impressive through one, two, three. Is it downhill as well? Downhill into yeah, that braking zone? Yeah. Well, I'd say slightly, actually quite, quite markedly. It just doesn't seem like it normally on TV quite as much, but. Yeah, def- definitely worth sitting at turn one and just watching that because it'll blow your mind how late they hit the brakes. All right, I want I want to go. If if anyone asks, uh, sorry, if my wife asks you, anyone, just tell her tell her it was a business trip, and I no, that doesn't work because I'm freelance. Uh, no, just tell her I've gone. I've I've gone to Barcelona to. I was going to say jolly. you're not really going to get away with it when you've told everyone on a podcast. Oh, right? oh no, no. That this is the safest place to keep things from my <laughs> wife. This is absolutely the safest place. I, I tell you what, though, I've I've heard that, and you would be in the know. Uh, F1 TV Pro, which I still don't really understand what it is, is showing testing live this year. And when Sky used to show it, I used to love it. I used to have it on in the background all day with a bit of commentary, and it was great. Well, lucky for you. So F1 TV Pro is not available in the UK. Boom. But it is in a number of territories, US being one of them, I think. So, yeah, you can watch it over in the US. Uh, But similarly, uh, Sky are covering it in the UK. So... I don't know if it's the exact same output that will be on F1 TV Pro, but you can watch testing on Sky this year. So um, it sounds like even a bunch of the press conferences are going to be like group sessions at lunchtime, uh, which will also be broadcast. So in a sense, this is where Joe will be able to say, well, it's not worth going, but it might not be quite worth going as much because everything that we ask to then write a story will be broadcast to everyone before we've even left the room. So we'll see how that pans out. But it's cool that fans get to watch it. Yeah, I was going to say, A... I don't really care because it's from a fan point of view. Uh, B, a pretty solid Joe impression there. Oh. Uh, I liked it. Hey, I, I, I will. Um, I'll turn to Matt briefly here because uh, your your partner in crime, Nate, Nate is it Nate Saunders? Saunders. Saunders. Yeah. Beg your pardon, uh, Matt. He had that idea of plastering the the Haas in in the Stars and Stripes. As a US fan, I mean, you did glom onto Haas and go right. That's it. That's that's my team. Our team. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to because they're from the they're the only ones technically headquartered or partially headquartered in our country. So you you sort of kind of have to support them. Uh, But also just because, you know, I I love Magnuson and Grosjean. I mean, that's like sort of the Laurel and Hardy of Formula One, I guess. Not not exactly. They're both good drivers, but you know what I mean? They're they're just so opposite in their approach to things. And there's always a lot of drama. And let's face it. With the Netflix Drive to Survive, Gunther Steiner became an utter star. And and it, you could see it the next season because he constantly would they would constantly hit him during the races and ask him questions on the commentary during the races. And you're thinking, that doesn't seem like a good idea. But I, I imagine he wasn't as in charge as the actual race engineers and stuff like that during the race. No, Gunther's, uh, Gunther's a hell of a character, though, isn't he? he he's... It just I don't want to call him a mouthpiece now. That sounds too negative, but he's definitely a go-to guy for so many people just to get a really honest assessment of something, uh, regardless of if he, like you say, if he's actually got the right knowledge of it or not. They just know that he'll say something good, so you've got to go to Gunther. Um, and I, I've seen that or heard that he's very, uh, very prominent in one of the episodes again this year in the new Netflix documentary. So I think everyone's going to be looking. Forward wait, to wait that. a minute. What? What do you mean you've heard? Did you? Did you not get the sneak peek with the other? I did not. No, what? I didn't get invited. No, that is. I wasn't even invited last year when I was in it either. Oh. So. <laughs> I, was uh, I wonder. So, so the people you must know people who have seen it though. Um, yes. So I'm hearing positive things again. 
Yeah, largely. I mean, I've had the odd team then complain because they're not in it enough or um, they didn't get to see the whole thing anyway. That's part of the problem. Uh, and they film so much over the year that I think every team expects to be in it the whole way through because they've had cameras around them so often. But when you then cut it down to, what, 10, 40-minute episodes, 20-minute episodes, I can't remember how short they were, um, then there's only so much space that plenty of teams don't get a massive look in. Uh, so, yeah, there's been a few already complaining a little bit about that, but they also know whatever they get in there, it's just great for the sport because it really gets people entertained. No, no, def- definitely great for the sport. And as a as an outlet here, um, as a shed outlet, we're certainly, we look to the date of Drive to Survive and we want to make sure our content's like particularly good and there's nothing terrible on there because we know that new people are going to come in, check mm. out F1 and then look for podcasts. Uh, so you're going to... Rush, you're rushing this out early, so this. So this is out of the way, done. Chris. This is yeah. out of the way, yeah. and then and then the silky content. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the plan. Um, so you t- totally threw me there. <laughs> uh, tell you what, um, going back to Haas for a bit though. Last time on Drive to Survive, the obviously the Haas team starred prominently. Mainly, I'm guessing because of Willing. They showed Willing where some of the big teams perhaps didn't. Mm-hmm. But maybe Roman Grosjean was treated a tiny bit unfairly and Gunter Steiner was being himself and perhaps didn't realise the impact it would have. You know, what the danger is that this year it's going to be, hey, hey, Gunter, how's it going? Yes, it is fine. Hello, my friend, Roman, you are doing well. Uh, carry on. I've definitely heard there's none of that. Oh, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think, yeah, Gunter's gone for it big time. He. I don't. He says he's never watched it. I don't know if now he's finally caught up on season one, but he insisted throughout all of last year that he never watched the series. So he doesn't know how he came across. Um, but he just knows that he was swearing a lot and that his wife didn't like that. So yeah, he's he's insisted that he's not going to change at all. The bits I've heard, uh, Magnuson was the one who was getting it in the neck a little bit, at least in one of the episodes. Um, two feisty characters there. So yeah, I think it's going to be um, going to be just as entertaining, if not more so. Why did they have you, to tell us a whole month out, Matt? Oh, just to ramp up the anticipation. They they always do this. They they want to trickle it out there and make you just fear missing out on the least tiniest detail so they get all of the eyeballs. Yeah, because they haven't even released a trailer yet, I don't think. So everyone's waiting for, even for that. That's going to be the next big thing. And everyone will go crazy when they get two minutes of, I don't know, hints of what's coming up. So there's no doubting that Drive to Survive can be uh, classed as a, a massive success. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo was talking, sorry, Ricardo. all right, new season. Let's get this off on a good foot. Ricardo, Fettel, all right? If I've got to do Ricardo, you've all got to do Fettel, okay? Deal? Good. Um, so Ricardo was, you know, on US talk shows, building up the success of it. Um, so I, I was just curious, because we know that that trickle effect comes down and it builds everything from the top down. I was just wondering how you guys felt about the bottom up. So, for example, uh, Joe Saywood would refer to these shed outfits as bottom feeders. Uh, Will Buxton referred to, and I'll say us, as bedroom um, uh, enthusiasts is, I think, the term the term he used. Do, do you do you think that you top guys, you top guys, do really suffer from the activities of you know the these bedroom websites, as it were? In in a sense, obviously, because the more stuff there is, then there's going to be times that someone, say, reads an article that you've you, you've written it, someone's taken the quotes, rewritten it on another website, and it only gets read there and not on yours. But realistically, I think that is then offset by 
just more people getting involved and showing an interest in the sport and finding out more about it. So, okay, they might read your story, but through another website. And they then have that knowledge that when you then do something else on that topic and they read about it, then they know. Whereas if they hadn't seen your original one, they wouldn't know. Um, it's it's a difficult, it's the same in any industry, isn't it? We're just a bit caught up in our own little bubble and everyone complains. But the main thing is it's just good to have people that are enthusiastic trying to do things the right way. There's, there's certain corner cutting that yeah does i think get everyone's goat a little bit in terms of maybe stealing quotes and not um attributing them to anyone i think that's bad um so i've I've got no problem with someone taking basically my whole article rewriting it using all of the quotes as long as they say where it came from originally that's fine um but if they don't that's that's when you've got a problem so that's always annoying or as i sort of hinted at the stuff that gets televised that we sometimes feel shouldn't be because then it allows uh basically it gives an advantage to someone who's maybe not invested as much or um in a sense isn't as experienced and hasn't i'd like to think kind of earned their spot um but it's it's tricky because i was you know not that long ago doing the exact same thing trying to get into the sport and i was very aware that i never wanted it to be a closed shop i always felt that there should be opportunities and we actually have this thing called the fia media working group sorry to get really boring but on there we talk about um certain things we're going to try and do to help the media help the press whether it's broadcast or print or online. And one aspect of that is how do we look at the way the accreditation process works? How do people get in? And it used to be in the past that the existing journalists got to approve or deny new applications. No. And yeah, it used to be years ago. And that's how it used to be. And then there's been calls for that to come back. And I'm dead against it because I'm like, it's not, it's not a cartel. It's not for us to close that off to anyone. If someone comes in and does it differently and it annoys us, maybe sometimes we have to look around and go, is that because they're doing something better than we're doing and we need to change our ways. So, yeah, I always think it needs to be open. Well, are you part of that group or you just know people who are part of that group? I am part of that group. Um, so I've been one to vote against um, being able to vote on who gets the pass, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, it, that hasn't, it hasn't come back, fortunately. But um, it was suggested and I was very much against it, uh, which I think is kind of a younger and older split because I do understand there's guys that have been doing this for 50, 60 years and they won it's not as easy for them to react, um, understandably. And I'm sure I'll get there too, the longer I've done it. Um, but two, they just want, you know, they want to protect their own position because they maybe I'm not going to be doing it for that much longer. So uh, it is actually understandable why they're like that. But I just feel we've just got to be on our toes more and, and make sure that everyone's got a fair and equal opportunity. Well, that's a refreshing attitude, Chris. I mean, I did see one senior F1 journalist really going to town on a kid on Twitter. I don't know if you saw that same one. Yes. I thought, yeah, yeah, okay, the website maybe even if the accusations of, oh, you've ripped the odd stuff off, that kid is just trying to practice being an F1 guy. He's not going to be getting rock star wages for that. And, you know, and he's he's spending his own money to come to testing and try and do some stuff. Um, So, yeah, it's a very hostile environment. So at least these bottom feeding sites mean people can have a go. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't it's not that hostile a few people make it and that's poor but um and while there were some valid points from the experienced journalist that you mentioned uh the way he went about uh relaying them was not ideal uh but similarly then there's some other you know that journalist does have a very good reputation for the job he does um where maybe not the way he interacts on twitter but um yeah he, he does have a good reputation when then there's others that really don't who aren't in the paddock and they then wade in and start sort of taking jibes and digs and it all gets a bit school schoolboy like i don't know stupid so uh i try and steer clear of it and just kind of laugh from afar and keep get on with my own job really well i i was just 
going to say it's happened to us before. We've had we've had content lifted and not credited. Although to be fair, the people that did that eventually and grudgingly <laughs> added a line. But uh, I'm curious because I know people people who who write for known publications who have issues getting accreditation to go to races. Mm. We as a podcast have tried multiple times. And we have a decent listenership. I mean, if you look at in terms of website visits, what the FIA requires, has any of this sort of newer media ever come up as a topic for you well, in I'll, this group? I'll just put that into context for you, Chris, because obviously, like, I, I've heard the figure of like 100,000 interactions for your website or something like reads or something for a month. And we get that in the form of downloads. In fact, if you include YouTube, it's more it's more like seven uh, hundred and seventy thousand. And, and 1.7 million in 2019. So those are figures where you go, oh, people are paying attention. Yeah. The FIA, there has been a change since Liberty came. They have actually replied to me to, to nicely tell me to bug off, but they're actually at least engaging. But have you noticed a, a difference in how outlets like us are being seen? Uh, a little. I mean, part of that problem will be because, so the FIA only give accreditation for print and online, something you don't need broadcast rights for, whereas it'll be Liberty that would have to give your accreditation as a broadcaster so for a podcast to do it but then to be able to do that you'd have to pay them for broadcast rights which costs thousands or millions um because i actually put a request in to liberty i I said look i'm thinking about doing a podcast myself um i know right um i was like there's some rubbish out there like in a shed all right no um so I, i just was you know sanding it out and i said what would um what would it look like if i wanted to get hold of or be able to record on site, you know, maybe after a race or whatever, even if it couldn't go out live, if I could just record where I was, because, you know, it costs a lot of money to go to these events. Uh, Otherwise you have to go back to your hotel and do it, that sort of thing. And I said, I appreciate you might say I need rights. So A, do you have any for podcasts yet? And B, um, what would they cost? And if not, how much would radio rights cost to be able to do this? Now I was never gonna have the money to do it, but it would have been good to know the lay of the land. And I just got told, uh, we don't have podcast rights and we don't want to give them to you. Um, so thanks. But uh, yeah, it, it's that's how sort of the level you have to get up to to do something like a podcast even. So um, yeah, it's very closed in that sense. But I think it's also they're finding out, you know, where the value for money is, how they're going to do it. You know, if they open up to podcasts for everybody, then someone like the BBC who have live coverage rights will go, well, that's a big part of what we bought yeah. disappearing. So I can see why it's tricky for them. but. Um, what I don't like is the way that, yeah, sometimes people get ignored or get shot down without a, either a compromise or an explanation. I do feel like people should at least understand why, because at the end of the day, Liberty are trying pretty damn hard to spread the word of F1 as much as they can. But there's other times they just can't do anything because it's going to hurt too many stakeholders. Right. Time to start a, a proper website then. Uh, Chris, <laughs> going to gonna go to some, some rumors because mm-hmm. just to, to kind of link this into how you are as a reporter, you you do seem to... to uh, stray away from, hey, I'm Chris Medland and I've got this huge exclusive rumour that you're not going to believe, but it's definitely happening. You know, you're not shouting out, oh yeah, I found out early that Red Bull are going to Honda, uh, like we did. Um, <laughs> but do, do you, is that a deliberate thing? And how do you sit on, you must get big stories early. Is, is it just that you just go, ah, I can't, can't be dealing with doing that kind of thing? Um, it's, it's A lot of it is you find out and you can't use it yet. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very careful that I do subscribe to the whole theory of it's better to be right and second than wrong and first. 
Um, right. And- Are you aware that our tagline is "We might be yes, wrong, but we're yeah. right"? Okay, yeah. fine. Well, that's, I'm just bringing the balance. Um, yeah. So I, that's what I go for. I mean, there's times you find out stuff, and you'd love to be able to tell people, but you just can't. Um, other times you just get a heads up, and you realise that it's not for you to to broadcast or to publicly say, but it's just to make your job a little bit easier. Uh, and sometimes you you actually agree with other people that it's better not to say it yet. Um, there was the, the one that I was come back to is when Alonso first did the Indy 500. And we originally worked with McLaren there because at Racer, we'd found out ahead of time. Um, and we could have broken the story three days before it came out, two days before it came out. Uh, but they hadn't actually signed the contract yet. And there were certain key people needed telling. So we liaised with them to kind of make sure the deal was done at the end of the day. It was better to have the story and be right than run it early and then it will fall apart. And, you know, we could have said, oh, we were right, but then it's cost motorsport a brilliant story. So uh, it's getting that balance right. And yeah, the few times I get something big and you do run it, you then, you know, tell people that you found out, but most people knew anyway, that's the thing. So uh, yeah, I try not to slap myself on the back too much. Well, I was just going to ask, and it sounds like maybe this Alonzo thing was it, but, but like of those stories, what was the one that made you just go... I really, really, really wish I could write this story instead of having to sit on it. Yeah. Is it like one? one? Yeah, that, that, that one definitely because um, we had it and from the Monday night, it was ready to go and it was huge that he was going to miss Monaco and do the 500. And you were just aware that so, you know, someone else might get it somehow before you. Uh, and in the end, we did get a little bit screwed over that um, there were kind of not leaks, but enough hints given by the team that allowed some people to ask some questions that they didn't have the answers to. Uh, but then the team just uh, an ex member of the team decided, well, that's enough for me. I'm taking control of this again and just released the press release without telling us they were doing it uh, and jumped us. So our exclusive that we sat on for two days then disappeared. Um, so that hurt because that did show you've done the right thing and then you didn't get the credit. But at the same time, that's just an ego thing. If I'm honest, you sit there going, yeah, look, I knew first. What's best is that the story happens um, because then people show an interest. You get a load of clicks anyway. Uh, and that means that people still want to come and read your stuff and hopefully people want to keep paying you to write it. Yeah, so. but that's because people would go and read your writing anyway. People like us, we need to just blurt it out so that people will come and listen to our show uh, like we did uh, halfway through the season. So, you know, someone told us about Vettel uh, going and having a chat about uh, a Red Bull seat. And we were we were assured, you know, this would be so we, we so we said it on here. People said, oh, no, you're, you're barking mad. But that story seems to be coming out now. Is that something that's kind of generally accepted? Um, I, well, I don't know what talks he had. I, I had we had a media session with Horner on Monday actually, and he said that um, both Lewis and Seb are just not right for them anymore because of their age, and it's just not the Red Bull way. And they've got Max, so why do they need anyone else like that? They, yeah, you know, they invest in youth. But there's been a lot. I mean, it's things like uh, Hamilton the Ferrari as well that came out of an Italian publication. I can't actually remember which one that ran it first, um, but they said that Lewis has had meetings with one of the, uh, well, with the um, chairman of Ferrari. And then that meant he could well be moving. But uh, God, that if, that, if that were to be true, then a few people only asked a question subtly and Lewis then gave the answer more openly and suddenly everyone had it. So very quickly, it went from one little outlet had it to everybody. Uh, and that's kind of what you want to see happen, but it also does show the returns are fairly small. You have to have something huge and blockbuster yeah. Um, that nobody's ever anywhere near for it to really hit home. Otherwise, it's just a starting point for a story. So I'm reading between the lines and saying that's you confirming that Vettel definitely did approach and Horner said, no, we don't need you because you was old like Lewis. 
it would not surprise me if Vettel went asking, "What's your plans for the future? What happens if Max leaves?" That sort of thing. Because um, um, when this yeah. when this first came to us, we this was before the Leclerc contract, obviously. Yeah. So I, I got the feeling then that it, it meant two things: a that he got the sense that Leclerc was going to be the boss, and then personally, I felt like it was validation of that. He suddenly got a five year contract, and you go, "Oh boy, you know, Vettel's yeah. kind of in trouble now." But it also says that he's got the desire to stay in F1 in, in 2021. You know, that's one of the biggest open questions career-wise next season, isn't it, is, is Vettel? Yeah, exactly. I, I think I think he's also got the motivation, but maybe not the fight that uh, Ferrari that looks like it's slipping away from him. And it could be that he doesn't stay there beyond this year. But also, will Ferrari want to put their faith in him? If they've, they've put their faith in Leclerc, they don't need to in Vettel, really. If he's cost him a lot of money, then they might look for someone younger or someone that more, works more harmoniously with Leclerc if they have their flashpoints again this year. So I think Vettel will be aware that it's not just down to him and whether he wants to stay. He does need to do a bit more than that. And in that sense, he probably then sounded out which other options are there. And don't forget, if Hamilton leaves Mercedes and Mercedes stay in F1, then Mercedes getting a full-time German world champion wouldn't be the most outrageous thing either. Well, I heard that Mercedes are leaving F1, read it on the internet. So That's true. It must be true. Yeah. Matt? No, I was going to ask uh, if where does Vettel go if if Hamilton doesn't leave, and more importantly, who would Ferrari, given their normal proclivities, who would they be looking at to come in alongside Leclerc? Because they don't normally go for young drivers, and you'd assume they'd want someone who could pick up all of the points on the table behind Leclerc. So, who is out there that might fill that bill? I, I'd say the stand-up one would be Daniel Ricciardo. Um, he's going to be out of contract at the end of the year. It was clear that that's a seat he wanted two years ago and that it never really came together. He gets on well with a lot of the younger drivers, but also just seems to work well with anyone. Um, he, yeah, he even did work well with Vettel when he kind of usurped him at Red Bull. So um, I could see that. I, I could also see, as your point makes, that they stick with Vettel because they're like, well, you know, why, why change too much? We don't need to. Are we going to get much better? But um, yeah, I think Ricardo could be quite a good fit for them in that sense. Similarly for Vettel, that might have been why he sounded out Red Bull, but has found out that door's shut. He obviously yeah. wouldn't go to Mercedes if uh, Hamilton was still there. So for him, that's when it becomes stay at Ferrari and do everything you can to make them happy. Or does it? You know, does he go somewhere else in 2021, take a risk? Or, or is that the end of his F1 career? Because he thinks, well, I'm not going to win another championship in another team. I'm not going to run around in the midfield. I'm a bit tired of it. So um yeah, it's kind of it does feel like a really a real crossroads for Vettel right now. Um, but I, I feel like it more comes down to him. If he wants to stay at Ferrari enough, then he'll play the games well enough to secure himself a future there. If he wants to win more, then he might rock the boat there, but that could cost him his drive. Um, or if he's just kind of tiring of it, then he he might walk away from it. I've uh, I've got the the Twitter post, Matt ready for this episode medlin says vettel would shirk hamilton challenge at mercedes <laughs> listen to him sensationally diss vettel yes that's that's the clickbait bedroom journalism that i'm going for uh right so this is the the best part of the season in many ways because we can kind of talk about it with freedom without having to really analyze stuff because it is it's such a blank slate starting again but do you get any whispers of 2020 strongness uh, I, I tell you what, I've, I've got um, I've got a fear this season that the midfield is essentially going to crumble away under a cloud of, well, actually, we're set up for 2021. And then my fear is then that if Ferrari, if these rumours of them coming out of the factory, uh, you know, not strong, then really we've got, you know, 
Mercedes going away, the the other top two behind by a bit, and then the midfield kind of trying to manage their resources for next season. Um, I've not heard anything. I mean, I've I've seen the reports that you mentioned about Ferrari already. You know things, um, but the, but then you you see those, and don't forget during testing last year, we're going Ferrari and miles quicker than everyone else, and they they were during testing, uh, but then that didn't translate into race pace. So a Mercedes were on the back foot, but turned it round. These are big enough teams that if they start running a car that looks that's not doing what they expect of it, or it's not quite at the level it should be, they're pretty damn quick at sussing out why and putting fixes in place. So, um, and don't forget, if, if we get China, 22 races, there's a lot of time to start fixing things because you've got a lot of time to make up. Um, you know, it's not like it's a, a 12 race season anymore and, and a quarter of the season's done early on and it's not really worth the investment. It's definitely going to be worth it. So uh, pre-season's not the be-all and end-all. But no, not heard anything about uh, performance yet. Just Mercedes were honest enough, weren't they? Andy Cowell in a little video recently to say that they've got a few little niggles that they're working on with their um with their power unit but that probably means that they've found some incredible performance they're just trying to make sure it will run for 26 million miles without blowing up when whenever mercedes talk about any kind of problems i'm just reminded of just that memento that scene from memento where he brings out the polaroids and i've got the mercedes star on there don't believe their lies they're incredibly <laughs> they're definitely incredibly fast um I, i'm the a reason to be optimistic i guess is that I, I think leclerc in his third season in f1 now will probably be a better overall driver than Vettel when he was challenging for 2017, 2018. In pace, definitely, and consistency, he's got the potential to be. So that's a real big positive for Ferrari fans. Yeah, big time. Um, Actually, one of the things we're doing on Racer right now for their F1 sort of season preview magazine is looking at the cases for Verstappen and Leclerc to be true title challengers. We're not looking at um, anyone else. We're not looking at Vettel, (laughs) Bottas or Albon. Um, But it's because realistically, if if you look at the way performance fluctuated last year at different times, each team could claim to have the fastest car. It was Mercedes most of the time, but there were times that Red Bull was outright quickest. There were times that Ferrari was outright quickest. And there are drivers in each car that can deliver a world championship, definitely. Uh, Verstappen, 100%. I looked up his stats and... It's a little bit misleading. I keep getting called out on Twitter for this because oh, yeah. there's a few, yeah. a few Indy 500 entries that are like one-offs or whatever, but he's in the top 10% of most experienced Formula 1 drivers in history, and he's 22. Wow. Uh, in terms of race starts. And if you spin it another way, because percentages can be misleading, if I'm recalling it right, there were only 69 drivers in history to have started more Grand Prix than he started. So this this is a guy that might be 22, but he is ready to win a championship. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, and now's the part where I get to ruin the show for Spanners and say, tire management for Leclerc seems like that is the pivotal thing that he's lacking compared to Verstappen. Uh, I'd agree, but that'll be something he will have worked on as well. Um, as, as Spanish says, you know, the experience will make him a stronger driver. And by having the extra, he's actually doing tire testing from tomorrow, I think, uh, for 2021 with Pirelli um, at Jerez. So he's doing a lot of time. He's getting a lot of time in the car doing tire stuff at the moment. But yeah, that's, that is an experience thing. And he learned very quickly in his first year. I remember um, Sauber Alfa Romeo going... He's quick, but he's he's got a lot, lot, lot to learn when it was preseason. And then by the sixth race, seventh race, they're like, this kid's very special. Uh, and then same with Ferrari, though. It's, um, you know, we'll ease him in. And how quickly he was on pole in the second race. You know, he he does learn quickly. So I think he'll be aware that's probably his biggest weakness. You're right, compared to both Verstappen and Hamilton. Hamilton's excellent with his tyre management. So uh, that will be something he knows he needs to improve. But if he gets that right, he's going to be right up there. And that might be the reason that Ferrari choose to keep Vettel around because Vettel is is apparently quite good at managing tires through sense. I wanted to ask you, though, you mentioned tire testing for the 2021 tires. We've had a couple of drivers on the new 18-inch wheels. Have they said anything about handling or what it's like to drive the car with the larger wheels on it? Because I haven't heard a single quote, and it's driving me nuts. I've, I've actually heard that it's not been as big a difference as they were expecting. Um it's it was George Russell, I think, um, hinting at it after he did some testing in Abu Dhabi. Um, that yeah, it's just I think they, because it looks so different, there's a much smaller profile on them that everyone was expecting there to be a, a massive difference. And the slightest change to the tires does have a big impact. Drivers feel it, but I think they're they're kind of aware. They're like, no, this this should work. This should be okay. Um, you know, this is manageable. So uh, as it, I think the bigger focus for the drivers has actually been to try and give that feedback to their engineers to say this is what we're going to have to do well to make these work because things like suspension are going to have to change. There's going to be so much uh, adaption to the cars to to react to this that I think their main focus has been less on how does it feel, you know, as a straight comparison, tire to tire for the driving pleasure, but more what's it going to do for the car's performance and how are we going to get around that? So um, I think it's quite a cool change, actually. And they do look good as well. I thought that perhaps the aesthetics of it were the main reason to do it. it what, what, was, what was the actual aim of these these tires? Uh, to bring them more in line with um, road cars, um, you know, we don't have 13-inch alloys with massive sidewalls on road cars. You, you know, most now, as certainly high-performance vehicles as well. You know, Pirelli have got, I want to say, 95% of the market share for um, like supercars or uh, high-performance vehicles, and yeah, you, you get really low-profile tires. So that's essentially just bring it in line with what we are used to seeing on an everyday car. It also helps your aerodynamicist out a bit because the tire wobble is a lot less. So the wake is more predictable in corners. And that actually will benefit the midfield teams quite a bit. How, yeah, that's true. Really? How? And Haas. How, how though? How <laughs> yeah. will that benefit the midfield teams? Because it's less simulation needed and less work needed to, to 
try and find a way of getting performance out of something that's a little bit volatile and a little bit unpredictable. Whereas they can throw bigger teams can throw more resources at that sort of stuff. Yeah, basically that the the tire profile is much less complicated because there's less sidewall to move about in a corner, so it's easier to model. Excellent. You touched on uh, China, Chris. Um, I, I guess generally people are not pleased with the the increase in races. I, I've not heard many people saying, "Do you know? Ah, this is brilliant. Just two more races, and that'll be that'll be perfect for me." I, I hate my wife and family. I mean, I'd be delighted to go if anyone wants me to sub in. I'll, I'll, I'll be gone all year. Um, with China looking like it's, I mean, that's what we're hearing, that it's pretty much we can't do it at the time it was scheduled. Does that mean it's just gone, gone? Well, Ross Braun's come out now and said uh, the target is to fit it in somewhere else if it's postponed. Ah. But it wouldn't be postponement rather than a cancellation at this stage. But trying to find somewhere they can do that is really tricky. Um, I saw a report um, on Automotor and Sport, who are normally very good at this stuff, over in Germany, saying that they gave teams two options uh, as initial sort of sounding out, see if it was possible. One was to run it after Hungary, so eat into the mid-season break in the summer, uh, and the team said no. And the other option was to make it a triple header at the end of the season, where you go Brazil, China, sorry, yeah, Brazil, China, Abu Dhabi. Mm. Um, and there are some journalists that do, uh, and photographers as well, that do Brazil, Macau, Abu Dhabi. And that's that's brutal. So again, the team said no. So the question I have for you, um, and I may have seen this, but is one of the problems possibly that stuff is already on the way over there? Would they have already started shipping things over there for the Grand Prix? But that's not car stuff. That's just setup stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sea Freight has, has long gone for that one. I say long gone, uh, fairly recently gone. Um, for the first few races, the Sea Freight goes out very early and they have only a set amount. So stuff kind of moves. It basically spends the whole year moving around from race to race. But that is something that could be recalled if it was a dangerous situation or whatever. That's that's not a massive issue. They'll start sending out air freight closer to the event, but fairly soon. Uh, but Formula One itself will send people out to start doing setup stuff. The teams will send out, they always send out advanced crews. You know, there are people that, that go ahead of time to a race and do some work. And then they've left before the race is even on because they're going to the next venue to do it. It's it's a huge project to to hop around the world and do this. So it's China's also one of the more difficult ones, I seem to remember, with their sort of customs laws and things that it's not as simple to get stuff in and out. Um, so they can't change it at the very last second. Uh, but similarly, you've got things like flights, hotels, so much stuff booked. And, you know, it's not a small matter. Like teams of you know, hundreds of people um, or as a whole sport, it's thousands of people going there. So that cost to suddenly be wiped out because you say, oh, we're not going anymore. Um, that is expensive to, to a lot of people. Well, that's, you know, that's going to make it very difficult for your PA, Chris. I, my sympathies to, to, <laughs> your, to your employees. Uh, trumpets. Yeah, well, I wanted to follow up and ask the other question, uh, which is what happens to the race fee if the race doesn't get run? And is this one of the reasons we see Liberty pushing to reschedule rather than just doing what seems to be the obvious thing is a look given the situation we just probably ain't going to have it yeah exactly because if liberty cancel themselves if liberty look from the outside and go you know what this we need we want to give clarity to the teams we're going to cancel it um you know don't worry about it we'll come back next year then contractually i believe liberty would be waiving the race hosting fee in fact they might be in within breach of contract for doing that because it's kind of up to the race promoter to make a call about whether it's safe or not to race um Whereas if um, the race promoter um, comes out and says, you know what, we can't do this this year, let's cancel it, then because they're voiding their contract, they probably have to pay the race hosting fee still. So Liberty make, 
millions. So they've got to be, they've got to balance it. But there will come a point where I think even shareholders within Formula One will go, you know what, you need to cancel it. Like we accept you saying we're going to cancel it and lose that race hosting fee this year. But it, that's why it's not been done so quickly and as early as maybe some other things. So if you're the Shanghai track owner, the incentive on you is to kind of go, well, we might be fine by then. Let's not be too hasty and then hope that it's F1 that's um, that's going to do it. Chris, thank you so much for, for dropping into the shed. I really, really welcome. appreciate your time and you and you joining us here. It is It is always a thrill for me and Matt to speak to people who will then go from the shed to then going and interviewing people, you know, the drivers at a press conference and stuff. So, yeah, for, for us, that, that glamour, let, just let that rub off. Let that rub off on it. <laughs> um, but just to end with, I mean, I might have a solution for F1 teams. If they're lacking any manpower or don't want to risk their top drivers for the Chinese Grand Prix, they can take the Williams approach, uh, who themselves are taking the Sauber 2014 approach, and, and they've got eight drivers. So have you got any light? on what's going on there because we'll list the names because we were struggling with Joe to name them all. That's how hard it was. So they've obviously, they've got Russell and they've got Latifi, but they've also yep. got Nissani, uh, Jack yep. Aitken, uh, mm-hmm. Jamie Chadwick and yep. Tictum. And, and, and what was going on there? So um, Nissani, I think it's fair to say is uh, financially helping the team and has brought a lot of backing and sponsorship to make sure that that can happen. Um, but similarly, that's you know, age old thing that a lot of drivers have, you know, in, in essence, brought their way in to get experience. And if I think he's going to get a test day, maybe something like that, maybe one. So you have to have a rookie driver do a test day anyway. So in that ah. sense, makes, so, makes so like the young driver test at Silverstone or something like that. Yeah. So, not- uh, so it'll be, I think it'll be Abu Dhabi at the end of the year. They have to do one of the days. Um, then you've got, so Chadwick is a bit of a balancing act at the moment, but what I think it's that Claire Williams has invested there to see if she can go further up the ladder um, and does keep referencing that she's trying to help support and promote women in motorsport. And Jamie right now is the leading light in terms of female drivers, but she's also been very clear to say she's not ready for an F1 seat yet or an F1 drive yet, but it's big experience gathering for her. So that's kind of her role is very different to Nissani's. Tickdom, I think they've seen as a raw talent and they're like, well, let's have a look at him, see what he's got. He's got knowledge of Red Bull's um, junior system as well. Uh, hopefully, he's quite good in the simulator. And then, because that might be a bit of a risk, because they're trying to find it out, then Aitken fills the gap of very safe pair of hands, did a good job at Renault, made the choice himself to leave, gets an FP1 run, good in the simulator, but also has a super license, so he can jump in if needed at any point. So he's the official reserve driver. Oh, okay, so I was going to ask, that was going to be my next question. If yeah. if one of the main drivers uh, is, is, is ill... Is it Jack Aitken that's going to go in and do the race? Yeah, Jack's going to be at all the Grand Prix uh, in his role as reserve driver. He's doing one FP1 and then he would be able to jump in at any time to race because of his super license points from previous years in F2. And then I think he's probably working on some, given the fact that every Grand Prix, I'd assume it has to be a Formula 2 drive that he's after if he's going to race something this year. Um, And don't forget, it'll only be his third year in F2, I think. Um, he was in his rookie year when when Russell won the title and you had Norris and Albon. So he kind of got almost forgotten a little bit there, but he did a good job last year in an uncompetitive team. So I think Williams have just seen he's a good, solid talent that probably wasn't going to go further at Renault and came in and offered him a, a good reserve role. Do, do you ever speak to these um, these kids or these uh, or the fathers of the kids like Nisani who are bringing who are bringing their sons into this environment? And there's there's no real end game there, is there? It, 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 uh, I can't remember uh, Nisani Senior's name. Uh, Chanok. Chanok. So is yeah. he is he bringing his kid in there, going, 
this will be the start, and then from this acorner, a massive, mighty oak tree shall grow. I, I think it's more that obviously somewhere like Israel doesn't have a massive motorsport culture compared to some other countries. It doesn't have a huge line of talent waiting to, to come through. So they put all their backing behind one leading driver. And he then, at the very least, something like this, gets himself a role with an F1 team, massively increased exposure to motorsport in the country. And hopefully it then generates more interest at grassroots level. Uh, but that means then, yeah, Channock's the guy going round to all these industries and these sponsors and potential backers and going, you need to sponsor my son because I can open some doors that are going to get him towards Formula One. And they've done that. And admittedly, I, I saw him at the Abu Dhabi Young Driver Test. Well, the Pirelli tyre test. How, how, how do you do, Chris? I interviewed him there. He was a little bit slow um, compared to the rest. But that said, he's still quicker than me. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, um, well, yeah. But he uh, he was he improved quickly from quite a low starting point. Uh, and all you can say is, that, you know, if you keep bringing enough to the team in terms of finances and then you keep learning quickly and improving quickly enough, then, you know, why not? Um, it's when drivers are a danger or when they're not improving at all and they're just getting in the way. That's always frustrating. But we've always had this sort of balance between raw talent getting you somewhere and having to be the whole package. Yeah, yeah. I just, Nisani doesn't seem like he's going to do what, what Stroll is doing, which like we've, no, I, I, I've given him in a race seat. I, I've given Stroll like a, a fair amount of, of flack because I, I just think that any other driver who'd done exactly what he did would have lost his seat by now or would not have got into certain seats. However, he is legitimately improving. He's not a danger on the racetrack. Quite the opposite. He's one of the steadiest hands probably on the racetrack, isn't he? Um, yeah. So, yeah, you can see that from their point of view, they at least saw in the junior categories that he had the talent to go up. But with someone like Nisani, who I suspect probably isn't going to have that rate of improvement, you do kind of just wonder, you know, what, like, what must he feel? What must that kid feel in himself? I mean, well, in one sense, he's thinking, well, I'm getting to drive an F1 car. So yeah, that's pretty, I would, I would accept that. That's true. But I imagine it, it he, in his mind, he's thinking, if I can improve enough and do what the team asks of me, then I'll be here and I, you know, maybe a door will open up. So in a, in a sense, that's all he can do. If someone opens a door for him with money, he can just try and walk through it and see if it impresses enough people. If it does, well done him. If it yeah. doesn't, then, you know, at least he had a go. I think he's almost unlucky that he's in this era of 20 cars and this kind of franchise team model that we've almost got in F1. In, in the olden days, he, he'd be in a Grand Prix. <laughs> he, would be, oh, he would be out there racing. He'd be, he'd he'd be, be on be it. In a footwork or in a Lola or something. Yeah, but definitely there would have been uh, options for him. That is one of the reasons we need more teams. Um, more for the drivers that certainly do deserve a seat, but they're just missing out and can't get the budget to maybe buy one or... Or when the team comes to them and said, we'd love to run you, but we need five million quid. Can mm. you get it? Instead of that happening, you, you need enough seats there that those are the ones that do get a shot. In, in another world, you'd have Team Nasani coming in, but then they would also have a spare seat for someone like Aitken or, or something like that. Uh, just Chadwick's just an interesting one because like me and Matt have been covering uh, the W Series in podcast form. We've really enjoyed it. I think it's a good program. I'm, I get flack, but I'm personally, a, you know, a big supporter of positive discrimination. And you've, you've got to push people forward um, to have role models. Uh, is there any indication where the Chadwick has even the potential, though, to go, OK, let's say let's give her more opportunities because we're trying to push, uh, you know, a woman into a prominent role. Is there do, do we know? Does she have the raw talent or is she she's well, she won a class in the Nürburgring 24 hours, so she definitely can drive a race car quickly um i think what's actually a benefit to her is i wouldn't say from what i've seen she's any more advanced or um any quicker really at this stage than tatiana calderon was 
But what Tatiana's done is actually come and give advice to the W Series and those drivers to say basically where she found problems on the way up. And and Calderon scored points in GP3, went up to F2 and really struggled because there's no power steering in F2. And even by her own admission, I mean, we talk about, yeah, a woman can train perfectly fine to drive a, a, a heavy duty race car, but you don't need it for Formula One. So Formula Two suddenly has this aspect of it that doesn't relate. And that was the big thing she was struggling with. And she passed that info on to Chadwick and the rest of the W Series. And it looks like Chadwick's going to take a different line uh, towards F1 if, she's, if she wants to get there and go through the Japanese route, go through F3, Super Formula Lights and Super Formula. So that might help her get there because it's a more, uh, well, it's a different development path. Sorry, I was just going to bring up, she should talk to Simona Di Silvestri because she drove IndyCars, which absolutely did not have power steering and she managed to figure it out but if you're not going to go through that route then and i i actually i like super formula because I, the the downforce i think is more comparable to what you get in f1 anyway but mm. no, no one cares what i think so no, no i agree with you and um, you're right about simona as well although am i right i'm thinking she came to indy lights at one stage as well i think she she definitely when she focused on that route i think yeah. she, she prepped well for it and i just think it's a, a problem really of formula two right now is that if you're going to have power steering in f1 Personally, I don't think we should have that, but that changes the whole way you build a race car. But um, I, I think an F1 car should be difficult to drive. But if physically it's not as difficult, then Formula 2 needs to, to be better aligned with it in that sense. And suddenly drivers are preparing themselves for Formula 1 very well and suddenly hitting this point where it just doesn't match up and it's proving difficult. So uh, that's something that needs to change. But yeah, that knowledge, I think, is, is helping Chadwick maybe uh, align herself better in the path she wants to take. Uh, guys, our time is short, and unfortunately, it, it is my fault. I I rescheduled our first appointment, Chris, and uh, on this occasion, I now... I mean, I could leave Treeface sitting, waiting for me in the rain. I, I could, couldn't I? Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, you're going to see this on Sunday. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get the live stream up today, uh, but please do follow the show at Missed Apex F1, Matt at MattPT55, and me at Spanners Ready. So we're recording this... On the on the seventh of February, which is a Friday, uh, and we are going to get this episode out to you on the Sunday as normal. Uh, in March, on the seventh, that's a Saturday. Do come and join us for iRacing. Email me spannersready at gmail.com. There's ten spots left there. Uh, but Chris, before you went, I did catch that you were doing some kind of charitable running thing, and, and I, w- I would love you to uh, tell our listeners about it. Oh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, myself and six other guys that work in Formula One. Um, I'm going to have to remember names now, but Lawrence Barreto, who works for F1.com, uh, Lawrence Edmondson and Nate Saunders, who work for ESPN, uh, Ben Hunt, who works for The Sun, no booing, please, um, and Rupert Manwaring, who is uh, car science trainer, and Luke Smith, newly of Autosport. Um, us as a group are running the Cancer Research Winter Run, which is a 10K through central London on Sunday morning, uh, we've all set big target times that are difficult. For some of us, we were in good shape before and have tried to get better and have failed. Others weren't in the best shape and have lost a lot of weight and have gotten way better. Um, so it's going to be a, it's going to be really good fun. The weather's going to be awful. <laughs> yes, it's Terrible. cold. We've got a real cold so, snap, haven't we? Yeah, and it gales, and we're getting warnings about how they're going to set the whole race up. So basically, we're going to it's going to be horrible for us. So if anyone wants to sponsor us, uh, it's uh, yeah on my Twitter on any of those guys' Twitter. They've promoted it. We've got a Just Giving page set up and we're trying to raise uh, 1,400 quid at the moment for cancer research. We're nearly halfway there, but anything anyone can give would be greatly appreciated. You're at Chris Medland F1? F1, I am indeed, yeah. Because you're legit and you do all the press conferences and stuff, you can legitimately have F1 on your thing. 
I can get away with it, even though most of the time all I'm doing is coming out with bad puns or moaning about Town. Yeah, there's a lot to moan about. And um, as a Colchester United fan, I think I can sympathise with the, the general level of the standard of football that I've had to endure over the decades. Uh, yeah, thanks very yeah. much, everyone, for tuning in to Miss Apex. Uh, good luck on your, your run, Chris. I have to thanks say I run. love running in the cold weather because I, I run hot, you know, like universal soldier, like ice bath kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't need the woolies on. But good luck with that. Thank you for joining us in the shed. Guys, we are going to be back here next uh, on Sunday, hmm, let's do some maths. Do I dare do live maths Sunday the 16th uh, for a live show? Uh, and we'll really be in the thick of testing and launches and liveries by then. But wherever I see you next, work hard, have fun, and be kind. That's right, he changed the thing. He changed the tagline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.